I really like uh, an example. Let me give you an example of this in terms of first things that's really uh, true. You've probably heard this example before. 25 couples were studied. The study focused on the first three minutes of contact between the couples when they got home in the evening and how the rest of their evening went based on those three minutes. The couples fell into two groups with those couples who guarded their words in the first three minutes, kind, pleasant, positive, thoughtful in their conversation. The rest of their evening was the same way. Kind, thoughtful, pleasant, considerate. However, those couples who started out the evening on the wrong foot found that it was nearly impossible to get it turned around, that there was a negative course the whole rest of the evening. That principle seems very simplistic in terms of marriage, but that's the whole principle of what God's been teaching us. What do you do with the first part of things, relationships, conversations? Is God involved in it? It's going to bless the rest. And what's neat about it, it's very simple. There's no complex formula. Put God first. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with Pastor Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona, welcoming a guest speaker for this message. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation online, visit us at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's a word from our guest. So today, uh, we're, we're just going to uh, continue as we magnify and glorify God as we get into his word. So let, would you welcome Pastor Ray as he comes to minister God's word this morning and to share the glorious gospel of Jesus. As I talk to people, I try to greet everybody every Sunday, every Wednesday, and talk with people during the week. And I say, how are you doing? I'll bet you 80% of the time people say, I am so busy. I am so swamped. I just can't get things done. And they just are overwhelmed with life. It seems like that there are struggles, there are, there are things coming up, and they just can't keep pace. It seems like that's getting more and more the case. I don't know about you, but I just sometimes wonder, where do I stop? The problem is, is I don't. And I think all of us need to stop and begin to kind of look at things in a different way. Try as we may, we seem to struggle with our life. We ask, why isn't God involved in my life more? 
And I know that's our desire. I know that's what we want to do. But it constantly comes to us. How can I get more in touch with God? How can I do his will more and more? Why do I struggle so much? Why are things so hard? When I pray, I don't seem to get anything. I try, and I don't hear from God. And I can't seem to get it put together. Why do I keep on doing the same wrong things? I don't know about you, but I kind of fall into that trap all the time. I ask God sometimes, okay, with all this going on, where are the blessings? Where are the things that Scripture talks about that he is going to be with me? He is going to have an impact on my life. Well, let's start at the beginning. God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in paradise. They have absolutely fulfilled lives. Everything is going their way. All they've got to do is rule over this wonderful paradise that God has given them. And everything is going to be taken care of. There's no unmet desires. There's no worries. There's no concerns. Everything revolves around God. God is at the center of everything. They're blessed physically, emotionally, mentally, materially, especially spiritually. They're always on a high. Everything possible is there. There's not even death. There's no evil. They've got everything. There was one law, though. What was that law? Don't eat of the tree, right? And he said, you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when you do that, you will certainly die. Okay? So Naive was out one day, and she happens to stop by and was looking at that tree. Satan shows up. And he said, did God really tell you you can't eat of that tree? Well, she says, well, that's right. He said that if we do that, we will surely die. With one question, with one question, a little seeded out. Did he really say that? Now I've got to think. You will not certainly die, he says. For God knows that if you do that, you'll become just like him. You'll be able to understand what's good and what's evil. Your eyes will be open to those things. So Satan merely asks a question, plants that seed of doubt, then contradicts God's word to bring about more doubt. So Eve is tempted. She begins to wonder, is there something more to this? Scripture goes on to say that she saw the fruit then, and she looked at it, and it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So he planted the seed, she began to take it on, and she says, wow, there's something more. I can have wisdom, I can have knowledge of good and evil. So she makes a choice. She takes it eats it, gives it to Adam, he eats it. Bear in mind, up to this point, Adam and Eve didn't even know what evil was. All they understood was good. All they understood was a harmonious existence with God. But because of this treasonous act, God bars them from the uh, garden. Well, why? They just made a mistake. Why would he bar them from the garden? Well, he barred him from the garden because 
in that act, they were sinful. And God, by his own laws, cannot be around sin, cannot be involved in anything that is not right. We uh, also see that mankind has um, looked at these struggles all the way down through time. At that time when they broke fellowship with God, when they uh, were deceived, there was a void that came in man. In every human there is this knowledge of our, in our spirit that we are separated from God, that we want to get back into relationship with God. We long to know God. We want to be one with him again. Even when people can't figure out what's missing, there is this hole. You read and you see people all the time that seem to have everything they could ever want, but only to find out that they're empty, that they are longing. Some even go to the other side and, and, and commit suicide, and you think they had everything, but that hole could not be filled. So ever since the fall, mankind has been trying to figure out how to get back to God and get into relationship. Even many religions of the world have tried to figure out a way back to God. Some believe God is a brooding God that is uh, uh, waiting for you to mess up so he can slap you with some kind of a punishment. And so they go through these things of rituals, and if I get it just right, well, maybe he'll be favorable, and rains will come, and my family will be well, and one thing and the other. And if I mess up, oh, he's going to punish me, and he's going to punish everybody. And so there's this primitive ritual based of cause and effect of good and evil. Other systems have incantations, and if I repeat it often enough and I incantate things, that God will have to show up and he'll be in my life and one thing or the other. So repetition, repetition, you just go over these things. Systems of meditation, where we reach a mental state and we become with the supernatural being of the universe, and you know, you know there's a meditation kind of a thing. Some have created idols that are made from the substances of earth, and they set them up as deities, and they fall down and they worship them. And they become just like those earthen vessels, nothing. Others have systems of penance by works, payment for wrong deeds, and you work through things, and you, you beat yourself, and you, uh, you've got to pay back somehow, and you can get into God's favor if you get it done right. Of course, we understand this side of the cross, that there's a wonderful message that we have. We have this great plan that God put in place, and that was to restore our spiritual lives, to fill that hole that was in us because of the redemptive power of Christ's death. At the cross, our needs were fulfilled, and we were fully restored to God, a relationship that fills us up completely if we will allow it to happen. Okay, so we're saved. Why do we struggle this side of redemption? Why do we flounder? Why do we doubt ourselves? Why do we still search and don't have a relationship with God? Even the very first book in the Bible, the oldest book in the Bible, Job, 
they were struggling with this. You remember that Job lost everything, family, his wealth, his, uh, his health. Uh, he was struggling so much. <coughs> Excuse me. And his friends show up, and they say, we've got the answer. You have just uh, messed up somewhere. You've done something wrong in your life. You'll just get your act together and do these things and confess to God he will have to come back. Well, we know the rest of that story, that God shows up and he says, this isn't the answer at all. And we still are struggling trying to find that answer. Where is God? This same, this same um, um, errant teaching is even in churches today. You're sick because you did something wrong. Things are not happening in your life like they should because you don't have enough faith. You're not spiritual enough. You left some door open and let Satan in. All kinds of teachings that are not backed up in Scripture, but we're floundering, we're trying to struggle and find why can't we get closer to God. Now, don't misunderstand. We have consequences. We do right things. We do wrong things. And there's going to be consequences. But God paid for all that. Do you understand that? God paid for all of your sins. He paid for all of the things that were necessary to bring you into his presence. So you have that. God paid for it. So we find ourselves searching for what I like to uh, call a formula. And you see that in churches. You see that in God's people. So we're not talking about the world out here looking for a formula anymore. We're talking about this side of the cross. We're still struggling trying to find a formula. If I just do certain things, a way to get God's favor, like if I can just get it right, then God will bless me. Or if I can do more good than bad, it'll kind of balance out. He He will bless me. Or if I pray enough... God will bless me. He'll have to. If I read the Bible through this year, God's going to bless me. God is going to finally bless me. If I'm in church four times a week, then God's going to finally bless me. If I can just do this, if I can just do that, God has no choice but to bless me because I figured it out. The point is, it's not going to happen. We search for a formula. Are you ready for this? There is no formula in Scripture to bring God into your life, to fill these voids, to make things powerful. All these things do is make us search in areas where somehow i got to fix myself and then God's going to finally get things right in my life. If I just do three things, do something three times. If I stop doing this or I stop doing that, if I do this, then I'll be good enough. I'm, you know, if I tell four people this week about Jesus, God's going to bless me. Now, all of these things are good things. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to be in church more. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to go out and, and get something done. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to stop doing this and change my life. These are all good things. But it's not a formula that gets you closer to God. They're very powerful things, no doubt. But you already are God's. 
Satan is deceiving you, making you wonder what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me. He's called what? The great accuser. He lies. He whispers in your ear and tells you things that just aren't true. Understand, only Jesus can make you acceptable to God. There is nothing else that can make you acceptable and be in God's presence. He did this by the blood that cleansed us. You're already acceptable to God because he ex you accepted the gift of Jesus at the cross. But here's the deal. Until Jesus returns to fully redeem all things, we must live in a fallen world. And you know we live in a fallen world. That means we will have to deal with stuff. There's going to be things coming at us all the time. Does that mean that God is going to get, uh, not going to get involved in your life about this stuff? Absolutely not. He really wants to get involved. He can't wait to bless you. But there are some things we need to understand about how that works. Well, then does that mean that he's going to fix everything to my liking? Probably not. <laughs> There's lots of things that I see later on that God did the right thing, but at the time I thought, man, I would have done it this way. This is the way I would have liked to have it happen. Why doesn't God do it to my liking? Because he knows what's best. He knows the future. He knows my life. He knows what I need to go through. He knows what I need to be blessed with. And he's always there to make it work. His plans are not my plans. His ways are not my ways. So we've got to trust him to ultimately bring the good in us and bring it out of us. There is no formula, but there is a principle in Scripture. That principle is God must be first. And that means that God has to be first in everything in your life. And so we're going to talk about that. Why things are so right, and why were things so right and wonderful in the garden? Well, because God was at the center of Adam and Eve's life. Everything was perfect. And as long as God was at the center of everything, God could bless and function. God didn't force Adam and Eve to obey him. One other thing he gave all of mankind is choice. What we call free will. We have the option. Well, why didn't he just force us to become the, the righteous good people? Well, he didn't want robots. I love you. I love you. I love you. I will do your will. I will do your will. No. He wanted you to make the choice to love him so he could bless you. But he gave you that choice. It was up to you. The problem with choice is that there can be blessings or there can be bad consequences. God said, eat the tree, you are blessed. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Don't eat the tree and you are blessed. Eat the tree and you die. Consequence. It's simple. So Adam and Eve disobeyed God. 
But what, they had fun- what had they fundamentally done? They had stepped out and basically said, well, we've got it figured out. Here's what we're going to do. I want to do it this, take this path. I want to do it a different way. I know what God said. They begin to break this down, and their life begins to break down. Let's recap just real quick. Things are wonderful. Blessings are flowing. Adam and Eve are walking with God. Every area of life is prospering physically, emotionally, mentally, materially, spiritually. Up to this point, God has been first in their life. Now Adam and Eve sin. Everything falls apart. Man is barred from paradise. They have to begin to work to exist. They now experience pain. They have to deal with physical mortality. They now live on a broken earth, and on top of all of that, they've got to deal with Satan every single minute. Oops. Big oops. They were into it. And what's more, because of that, oops, we're into it. We are in a fallen world. Well, in spite of our foolishness, God had a plan. But oh, the journey that we had ahead of us. God was going to have to teach us a whole new way of life. It had been relatively simple and sound in the garden. Now everything is tweaked. It's out of kelter. Not only that, he was going to have to begin to train us in the context of a world that is filled with good and evil. Now we've got to deal with evil and death. God wanted to protect us from the evil. As we've already said, don't eat and, uh, or you will die. We ate, so we spiritually died. We now physically die. Now we live in a fallen world, and we're going to have to again, battle against evil rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We read about that in Scripture. Matter of fact, that's what Pastor has been talking about on Wednesday nights forever, because we've got the deal in this other world of evil. God was going to outfit this with armor, a whole new approach to life. So God chronicled in the Bible his dealings with himself and with mankind down through time. And it's interesting to read the Bible. God is just absolutely transparent with everybody. He named names. He told what people did, what their thoughts were, where they really blew it, where they really excelled. And so he was very, very transparent with mankind uh, uh, through Scripture. He tells it all. As we look down through the history of God dealing with mankind, we see choices that men and women made, good and bad, the consequences of their choices, and we see pretty quickly how things sort out. When man made a choice and put God first, the results were blessings. Choices that didn't put God first resulted in bad consequences, sometimes death, spiritually and physically. So let me repeat, the scripture does not give a formula but it does have an underlying principle that if you will put God first in every area of your life, then he will begin to show you blessings. God has to be first. Man has had to learn the lesson that when God is taken out of first place, all things begin to fall apart. 
He's been thousands of years telling his people through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, you go this way, it's going to mess up. I'm kind of confused, though. It seems like we're kind of dense. We just don't seem to get it. God's first. If he's first, things work. If he's not first, things don't work. (laughs) Generation after generation down through time, the good, the bad, the ugly, portray what happens with man. Cain and Abel. You see, after the, uh, after the garden, Adam and Eve have a couple of kids. Later on more, but we all know the story about Cain and Abel as, as mankind begin to multiply. So right off the bat, God says, I want you to give me an offering, Cain and Abel, and honor me. And uh, so Abel, <clears throat> he comes with uh, one of his sheep from his flock, gives a sacrifice. God is pleased with that offering. Cain comes and he brings an offering from the soil because he was a tiller of the soil. God says, that's not what I asked for, Cain. So he gets all upset and um, he He's kind of ticked off. He goes off and pouts. God even says, why are you so downcast? You know, one thing and the other. He, but the point was he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Well, he gets so ticked, he goes and kills Abel. Abel was blessed by his, bless, by his offering. Cain was not blessed. He had the consequences, and he even had huge consequences because murder got involved. Now, I know we say, well, poor Abel. Well, He got straight to God. That was a pretty good deal. Bad consequences. First lesson in the Bible. I mean, this is in uh, like Exodus, I mean, Genesis 3, whatever. I mean, it's right off the bat. Historically, in terms of man's dealing with uh, with God dealing with man, you honor God and there's blessings. You don't honor God, there are consequences. Abraham and Isaac is another uh, good story that I like. And uh, Abraham was a descendant of Noah's son, Shem. And God calls him because he knows Abraham and he wants him to follow him. So God tells Abraham, leave this country that you're in and go where I send you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham does this, and there's blessings that follow because he follows that. Abraham is really excited. God has promised him a son to start a nation. But the test begins here, you see. Abraham and Sarah actually laugh because they're really old. And kids don't seem to be in the formula that they see as to how God's going to do this. So, ten years pass, and there's still no kids. So they get kind of nervous, and they decide, well, we're going to help God out. We're going to help this promise. And so Sarah gives Abraham her handmaiden, Hagar. And uh, so Ishmael is born from this union. And this is a huge consequence. 
Because I don't know if you realize it or not, Ishmael is born, and in history, this set up the tremendous conflict between the Jews and Ishmael's um, descendants that exist today between the Jewish nation and the nations around him because of Ishmael. That conflict has gone on. Huge consequence. We could go into the whole picture of how that looks. Well, finally, after 25 years, Sarah has a son, Isaac. Abraham is 100 years old by now. Sarah is 90 years old by now. But God kept his promise. So now another test comes along. And God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to meet me at Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Now one of the things that was paramount in Scripture was there was no human sacrifice ever. And so God is testing Abraham. (coughs) Excuse me, my allergies. So he's testing him, and he says, I want you to sacrifice uh, Isaac. Well, this is his son. This isn't a sheep. But Abraham trusts God, so he takes Isaac, and he heads for Mount Moriah. Isaac uh, Isaac says, Dad, um, where's the sacrifice? And uh, what's Abraham say? He says, well, God will provide a sheep, provide the sacrifice. He'll provide the sheep. Well, in Genesis 22, 8, um, where this is going on, um, Abraham begins to take this trek. He takes servants. They get up close to the, the mountain. He leaves them behind. They go on up the mountain. You know the story, how they gets up to the top, and they get all ready for Isaac to be sacrificed, and as he raises the knife, an angel of God stops him. Well, God had a plan. Deb and I like this example that we have talked about over and over again with talking about people. God has got a plan no matter what you're looking at. All the time in that plan on the other side of the mountain, God had a ram that was coming up, and that was going to meet the criteria for the plan, God was pleased. And he said, now I know that you believe in me. Thank you. The blessing of Abraham put God first, and it's a huge blessing. Because Abraham put God first, it set in history the seed set in motion the seed that generations later would lead to the salvation in the birth of Jesus Christ, all because of the faithfulness of Abraham, all because he made the choice to honor God, all because he understood the principle that God came first. Galatians 3.16 says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. The Scripture does not say, And seeds, meaning many people, but and your seed, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. Because Abraham obeyed God, God blessed Abraham. And not only did he bless Abraham, he blessed you and I with the birth of Jesus. 
So down through history, that comes out. So here's another interesting factor in putting God first. You don't know the effect of your faithfulness in putting God first. You don't know the effect what it's going to have on your life today. You also don't know the effect it's going to have on your children and your children's children and the generations to come, all because in that moment you stood and said, God is first. There are lots of other people in Scripture that we could talk about. Jacob put God first, and ultimately his sons were the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, all because Jacob put God first. Joseph put God first in spite of family troubles with his brothers and became the second in command in Egypt. David, in spite of some bad choices in his life, put God first. He killed he killed Goliath, he was king, and ultimately because he put God first, kept on turning back to him, he was said to be a man after God's own heart. Solomon put God first, he was the wisest man that ever lived. Moses put God first, and he led two million Israelites out of Egypt to their, to their promised land eventually. Esther put God first and saved the Jews from the, enti uh, the entire Jewish population in the Persian Empire because she put God first. And we could go on and on. I mean, literally, we could spend the day with person after person after person that did put God first, person that didn't put God first. You go through the kings in the Old Testament, and it's crazy. This one honored God and was blessed, and the, and, and the nation flourished. This one did not honor God. The nation went down the toilet, and there were consequences. It was really poignant. I mean, it's, you don't even have to be a scholar to figure this out. That works, this doesn't. This works, that doesn't. Why don't we get it? <laughs> I think the principle we see here is that these people, though they weren't perfect, kept on coming back and consistently putting God first in their life. Let's talk about part-time Christians. Part-time children of God. And by the way, every one of us probably at times fall into these categories, so it's not like we're just shooting at different people. Sure, there's people that show up, you know, for Christmas and Easter and, and um, you know... Uh, we call them CE Christians because it's Christmas Easter Christian. You know, they do their duty and they show up on Christmas. And bless them, I'm glad they're here. That's not a criticism. But they're, in the rest of the time, they're struggling. And so they, they don't understand. It, it just amazes me. The Israelites were taken out of, um, of Egypt. They saw all kinds of miracles the plagues and how the thing weren't affected and how the, their firstborn were saved as the death angel came over because they, 
um, went through the process of anointing the mantles of their, you know, and their, of their house, and and all the firstborn of of, of of all of Egypt died, and it was just this crazy stuff. And they all get ready to leave, and they want them to go so bad that they give them all their gold, they give them everything, and they get out of there. They watch, they go across the Red Sea, and uh, they, you know it opens up. They get across to the other side. All of the uh, soldiers that were chasing him were killed when the walls of that water fell in. And then he gets to the other side, and they dance, they're all excited. And they go, and they, they begin their journey. And they get disgruntled one night while Moses is up on a mountain talking to God, and they build a gold calf, for crying out loud, and bow down and call it God. Are you nuts? Why in the world... What's, what's wrong with this? I kind of think that we're not too much different. We see all kinds of times when God, oh my goodness, answered prayer. Answered prayer. Brett, Bev and I have had a, a home group for seven, eight years with just a few that we've, that we've been together with. We've kept a prayer journal all that time. We're on our third journal Prayer after prayer after prayer answered, documented, stuff that we have put down where God has showed up and then comes next week and I'm in the middle of it and I forget that God answers prayer, that God is involved in my life. i got to just get him back first in place. So we're not different. We do the same kind of things. But God got weary of the Israelites and this temporary um, loyalty that would come and go, come and go, and there were consequences. Every time they would fall, there was a consequence. They spent 40 years trying to learn this, even to the point that when after these 40 years, everybody had died off. And out of their generations, only two that had been faithful were able to go across into the promised land because they put God first. I sure hope the ratios aren't like that in our group. <laughs> it wouldn't be good. I mean, that's a couple of million people, maybe bigger by that time, and two crossover? My goodness, what's our problem? I want to ask a question. Would you be willing to marry a person who said, I love you, pretty much? <laughs> We'd say, wait, 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 wait. What? Pretty much? Or, or maybe um, they would say something like, okay, I, you know, I want to get married. This is wonderful. I love you. But here's the deal. I will be faithful to you 360 days a year. But five days out of the year, I want my own time. I want to be able to get away, and I want to do whatever I want to do without accountability. <laughs> run, run, get away from that. Why would we trust somebody that would do that in terms of the accountability factor? That's nuts. We would run from that relationship. But our churches are filled with people who are Sunday Christians, or maybe, like I said, the Easter, the Christmas, or whatever. Or they go to this church or that, and they, they um, live like 
the devil the rest of the week. They're hot and they're cold. Seems like I remember some scriptures said something about if you're uh, kind of mediocre with all this hot and cold, hot and cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Disgusted. With, you know, come on. Are we going to believe in this or not? The old saying, if he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all, begins to sound pretty right on right now. Understand, God doesn't love his people any less when we mess up. It's not that he's just so disgusted with you. He just wants to bless you so much, and he wants to be your God. He's just disappointed because you keep on tying his hands. You see, God has got it all right there, and he's not like, I'm going to take that back. You know, it's right there. It's us that gets out of there. We're the one that leaves the blessing. We're the one that's not taking, uh, taking, uh, partaking of this blessing. We're the one that sets the stage for all of this. God actually can't wait to bless us. But when we put God, put God second, fifth, seventh, is that first? No. He will move in blessings when he, he is first. Now understand, our sins are constant, but the forgiveness is too. As long as we are faithful to repent, like the story of David, and we keep turning back, oh my goodness, he will continue to forgive. That keeps us in right standing. That keeps us in the blessing mode because we keep on turning and putting him first. Moses was a man who put God first. He had such an intimate relationship with God that Exodus 33.11 says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. If we can come to the point to where we keep putting God first and create that kind of intimacy, you think you're going to hear from God? Do you think he's going to begin to speak into your life? It may not be a booming voice. It may be whatever, but he is going to talk with you. He's going to communicate with you. He's going to influence you. He's going to create things in your life that move you in directions that are blessings. When God is second, when God is fifth, when God is seventh, as I said, we move away, not God. So, if God is pleased with me, well, let's see, let me read that again. If, uh, in fact, they were so close, talking about Moses, getting back on track here, they were so close that Moses makes another statement later in that scripture. He says, if you, God, are as pleased with me as you say, so God's telling him, I'm pleased with you, I'm pleased with you, communication, then teach me your ways. So you see, he became more and more humble and said, okay, I get it. I want to be intimate with you. I want to understand who you are. And if you are pleased with me like you're saying you are, now teach me more. Teach me more. Help me to understand more and more. When the children of Israel began to journey to the promised land, God wanted to bless his people. 
This was supposed to be a healthy and prosperous time. This was supposed to be a time where they were going to be more and more reacquainted. So he gave them miracles every day, food from heaven, clothes that would not wear out. He parted the sea, water from a rock, eyes that did not dim, but they still just couldn't seem to get it. They would put God first, and then they would turn right around, and they would let their emotions get the best of them, forget what God had done, and then get real moody with God. (laughs) He knew he couldn't leave Israel's faithfulness to their emotions, memories, or moods. Lots of bad consequences with your emotions, your memories, and your moods. So what's wrong with emotions? Memories and mood swings. They're fickle. Emotions tend to warp reality. Memory is fleeting. And moons can just flat be all over the place. While emotions, memories, and moods can be okay... They all take purpose discipline to the production uh, produ- to be productive to a Christian's well-being. That's exactly right. There is a discipline. All of these things are good things, but they all have to be first in place. God first behind it all. So I think it's interesting. They would they would their emotions, they would just get all excited and upset because of this, that, and the other thing. Oh, we're just so sick and tired of this manna, you know, and I just don't like it anymore. And God's taken care of them. And they just are all upset. And then God does all these wonderful things and they forget about it. It has no impact on today. And then they get moody. And we fall into love and out of love with God. Oh, he's mad at me, or he's upset with me. We don't understand, you see. The point is, if we wanted to walk away from God's blessing, he's going to let us. He's not going to force you to stay under his covering. We have free will. But if you walk away from those blessings, that's your fault. That's my fault. He's got it all set up. We have to take advantage of it. So along with construction of the tabernacles, God laid down a set of checks and balances to make sure that Israel's confession of his lordship in their lives was more than just words. So he began to put structure. There was ways they could show this to show that he was first in their lives. There was the Ten Commandments, the structure structure of their daily lives, the laws, the rituals of sacrifice, the statutes of the tabernacle. Uh, they were set up for their spiritual health. Another significant thing was put in place, and that was what is called the law, what we've called it theologically today, the law of first things that God put in place for us. The law of first things begins to show the relationship of how we act and how God will respond, putting it back on us in terms of our response to those things. The teaching of first things at this time would set the foundation for us all to understand what God would do in the new covenant under Jesus. This foundation showed that God was was to be first materially and spiritually in all of our lives. 
God said, the first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all firstborn males of your livestock, whether herd or flock. These animals are going to be used as a sacrifice, making them realize you sin, and where there is sin, something has to die. It set the stage for what was going to happen at the cross. Now, this is a whole other teaching, which we're not going to get into today. But the fact that a sacrifice has to be put in place to cover your and mine's sin, to pay a debt, to pay for the consequences of who we are, to pay for the bad consequences, is a biblical principle that started in Genesis and was finalized at the cross and would ultimately be in place when Jesus comes again. Back to first things. Even the firstborn son was to be consecrated to God. It also required the first fruits of your finances to support the spiritual leaders and ministries of the kingdom of God. The point is that God required the first of everything. If I raised a thousand sheep, would it matter if it was the 42nd sheep that was fat and healthy and 4-H quality? No, he said, I want the first one. The first one belongs to me. The rest is yours. And the point of all of this is why, you know, you know what is such, this, why is this such a big deal? Why does God need my sheep, my kids, my money? He's Lord of all for crying out loud. Why is he making me do all of these things? This is a reminder to us that God's position has to be one. He's not 15th. He is not fourth. He's not second. He's number one. You make the choice. He is number one in your life. Why is God doing this? He's training his people. Put me first and my promises and blessings will be yours. Now this is very important. Listen to this. This is so important. The law of first things dictate whatever is done with the first portion determines what happens with the rest. Whatever you do with the first portion of life, possessions, you name it, your kids, your family, whatever, whatever you do with the first part determines what God's going to do with the rest. Does it make sense? It has an impact on all of it. So how do we do this? Let's break this down and maybe get realistic with your everyday life right now in 2018. Excuse me. Marriage. If you put God first at the heart of your marriage as husband and wife, God will bless the rest of your marriage in all areas. That's a promise. He will bless your homes. But you've got to put God first in your marriage. What would that look like? Do you pray together? Do you acknowledge God as the head of your home? Men, do you step up to the call to be the head of your family and set in place what's supposed to be happening in that family? What does it look like? What's the structure? How do things work? Do you, it, and when we say that God, you, uh, that the husband takes the lead, it doesn't mean that the wife is secondary. She's right there with him. 
It just has to do with responsibility. Men, are you stepping up and taking responsibility for what you're supposed to be doing? Women, are you the heart of the home? Are you doing everything that's necessary to support and make that what it should be? You can make a whole sermon out of what happens with your, with your, your marriages. Your children, if you dedicate your children to the Lord in the beginning and follow through, the promise in Scripture says he will bless your children. But we've got to do that. Are there going to be struggles? Yeah. Are you going to be some correction? Yeah. Is there going to be the lessons that we're talking about here with kids? Put God first. Do what you're supposed to do. But it will bless your children. Finances. Everybody hates this. But it's interesting to me, this is probably the biggest point Scripture makes in terms of give your first, because everybody understands it, they get it. And it seems odd to me that that's the biggest thing people get offended about, is we begin to talk about your finances. If I dedicate the first fruits of my finances to God, what do we call that? A tithe? He will bless the rest of my finances. As we make financial decisions, he will be in the middle of it all. But we've got to keep him first. What you dedicate is the first part. He will then bless the, the remaining. Well, that's a pretty good ratio, don't you think? Give God 10% and he'll bless the 90? And I don't know of anybody, I honestly don't know of anybody that has been a faithful tither that wasn't blessed financially. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about that their lives were in order. There was always enough to make the bills. Things got taken care of. Were the struggles you went through? Sure. Or the choices to make? Yeah. Why is things not working this month or whatever? But you're faithful, faithful, faithful. And guess what? He is too. Put him first. Your job if we put God first in our job, he will bless the rest of the job. Be thankful to God for the job. Pray over the job. Bless the job. Do an honest day work for pay. And I have to admit, I probably hear more grumbling and murmuring about your jobs than anything. I do too. God has blessed you with that job. There's a whole part of Scripture that talks about you being the servant where it talks about the master and the slave, that very much translates to employer-employee in terms of that relationship. That person is the authority over you, that company. And yet we hear things like, well, my boss, I just don't like this and that. I don't like the other employees. The company, all they want is money. That's all, they're care all they care about, yada, 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 yada. It doesn't make any difference if that's true. Your place in that job is to be Christ-like and do what you're supposed to do, and God will bless that because you offer that, you offer that first, and God will bless the rest. How do you start your day? Do you give him the first part of your day? If I get out of bed talking to the Lord, and I'm not talking about you've got to set aside an hour and do something, and that would be great, but how do you start your day? you get out of bed talking to God? Do you spend some time devoting uh, that morning or sometime during the day to him? Um, he will bless the rest of your day if you will sow into that to honor God. 
Do you see the principle? Every single area of your life, you've got to say, this is where it is. This is the mark. God is first. In my decisions, the way I think, the way I act, the way I treat people, my character, my, you know, everything about me, I make this decision. And we might think, well, if I get that way, I'll be pretty good. That's a humbling experience because I don't know about you, but when I try to put God first and I see the contrast of what he's asking and what I'm doing, oh my, kind of drives us to our knees to where we begin to say, okay, God, I just want to be who you want me to be. If we haven't been putting God first in the different areas of life, it's not too late to start. We might say, oh my goodness, my kids, you know, I've wasted a whole lifetime. Or, oh man, our marriage started off so wrong. Or, you know, you name the area. It's not too late to start. You can start today. Tomorrow morning when they get up, how you do things. I really like uh, an example. Let me give you an example of this in terms of first things that's really uh, true. You've probably heard this example before. 25 couples were studied. The study focused on the first three minutes of contact between the couples when they got home in the evening and how the rest of their evening went based on those three minutes. The couples fell into two groups with those couples who guarded their words in the first three minutes, kind, pleasant, positive, thoughtful in their conversation. The rest of their evening was the same way. Kind, thoughtful, pleasant, considerate. However, those couples who started out the evening on the wrong foot found that it was nearly impossible to get it turned around, that there was a negative course the whole rest of the evening. That principle seems very simplistic in terms of marriage, but that's the whole principle of what God's been teaching us. What do you do with the first part of things, relationships, conversations? Is God involved in it? It's going to bless the rest. And what's neat about it, it's very simple. There's no complex formula. Put God first. God regards the law of first things himself. God never calls us to follow laws and principles that he does not follow and continuously follow himself. God gave his first, and he sent Jesus. And Jesus takes care of the rest. What a powerful thought. Jesus came because God sent and gave his only first son, and he blessed it with us, and everything else is done. So I've got a simple question. Have you accepted that first gift God first gave for you and I? If not, it'd be a great time to start that journey to be who you are supposed to be before God.
Are you living according to the principle that God is first in your life? If not, wouldn't today would be a great time to say, okay, I'm going to start thinking about this. This can be hard, guys. You're going to have to stop. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to rethink. You're going to have to restructure. You're going to have to look at the way your life works and try to make it work in every circumstance. We kind of made fun of the WWJD. Well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And it got to be kind of trite saying everybody kind of made fun of it one thing or the other. Good question, though. And as you go through the day, you know, what do you want me to do, Jesus? How do you want me to handle this? How, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to be about? It's up to you. It's up to me. From the guest of Pastor Tim Masters and Victorious Life Christian Center with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding from Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center. You're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.